Hello and welcome to All Four Quarters, your one-stop shop for news, views and overreactions to all things NFL. This week we're going to be having a look at Thanksgiving and seeing what we're thankful for and what we believe are smallpox or little blankets. We're going to look at dangerous coaching, especially in relation to two quarterbacks this weekend. And we're going to have a quick look at who we think is on the hot seat coaching-wise. Then we're going to look at some of the games from last week, take a couple of questions from our listeners and then look forward to next week's games. So hey guys, welcome to the new episode. Uh, Cotter here, I've got Harry. Hello. And we've also got Ronan calling in from Cork. Hello. Hey guys, so how's yourselves? Yeah, pretty good, pretty good. Uh, settling into work now and just trying not to get myself too tired out trying to watch late night football. Yeah, it is a problem. It does have you quite tired. I caught the tail end of the late game just because I was getting up at half four in the morning on Monday, which was not enjoyable. How about yourself, Fitz? Any crack? No, good enough. Just working away in the old uh, statistics mines. So happy enough with how things are going. Ah, good. Have you found any good veins of stats there recently? <laughs> oh, sure. You know yourself. There's always there's always something. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I suppose, guys, we'll kick off. Um, we had an idea, given that it's Thanksgiving week and we get a nice Thursday full of football games, we thought we'd uh, have a look at Thanksgiving and say one thing that we're thankful for and one thing that we believe is a, is a smallpox riddled blanket on the NFL. I suppose we'll kick off with you, Ronan. Uh, this Thanksgiving week, what are you thankful for? I love Thanksgiving. It's like the national holiday for bad house guests. <laughs> but the, this is actually a controversial one because obviously I'm a Seahawks fan here. But I'm I'm thankful for the Arizona Cardinals. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna like lose, be unseated, then being unseated by a team which is just really hard to dislike. Coach who you know is just a baller and who just you know does whatever he wants. Chris Johnson takes a bullet in the shoulder and yet somehow has ended up being like one of the top rushers in the NFL and an offense which is just exciting to watch. They're always fun to watch. They're always good to see. So, you know, if if the San Francisco 49ers, our, our rivalry with them has to die out, then at least it's, come, it's been replaced by a team which is perhaps even more fun. Like, it's probably a more fun rival to have. So I'm pretty thankful to have the Cardinals in there, to be honest. Excellent. Um, in terms of the... Uh, Smallpox back in. I'm going to take the obvious one. Greg Hardy. He can have all the smallpox all the time, forever, because he's a terrible human being. Please refer to all previous podcasts. <laughs> God, did you did you see? He actually complained about getting bullied in the locker room now because of his his uh, handle on Twitter. Oh, because he was calling himself an innocent man till proven guilty. <laughs> like he's just the worst person in the world. Also, That's also really inefficient for Twitter's character. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, oh no, no, that was his bio thing, the line underneath oh, that oh, you say I who see. you are. That's, and that was handy, you can only tweet like one character at a yeah. time. <laughs> well, thanks for that, Rodan. You've stolen the most obvious pox riddled blanket. <laughs> Harry, what about yourself? What are you thankful for this fine Thanksgiving week? Yeah, well, I was, I was going to uh, obviously be thankful for the Patriots undefeated so far, but I think that, you know, I don't think that's actually really that interesting because, you know, we're great. No, no. <laughs> not really. We've been very lucky actually at the moment, but I'll take it. What I'm genuinely thankful for this season is is Cam Newton. In a, yeah. a year where there's been just a lot of bad stuff happening in the NFL, there's been a lot of bad characters uh, sort of coming back onto the field and also a lot of turgid gameplay. It's great to see a guy who not only just clearly loves playing the game from the way he plays and plays that sort of exuberance and brings a level of fun to it, but also a guy who has taken so much undeserved stick over the years, just finally turning around and being like, no, this is how good I can be. I'm one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And I'm going to look fun doing it. I'm not going to fit into that cliched, stereotypical, you know, guys just working really, really hard and just thankful for everything. A guy who is still thankful for everything, but a guy who recognizes his own talents 
and is more than willing to just you know use them to the, use them to the full of their extent to play entertaining football and to just have have fun out there and win games and look good while doing it. Yeah, he's all, yeah, he's like super super dreamy. Oh, and he, and he, he's basically. <laughs> And uh, my smallpox-ridden blanket was going to be Greg Hardy, but I probably should have seen that coming. But I have a, have a backup in the pocket, which is the Denver Broncos' defense approach to discipline and approach <laughs> to playing the game. It is just game after game, violent incidents coming out of these guys. And there's a certain point where it's like the team is not doing anything to stop this, and I don't want to allegedly or anything, because I'm not alleging anything, but it seems like they could stop this if they really wanted to, but they're not. They're letting the players do this week after week. And it is just constantly punches thrown, eyes gouged, late hits, jumping on a tight end's neck. It's just not on. And at this point, I want to see more discipline come down from the NFL. And I want to see the team itself get punished for that because at this stage, it's ridiculous. Yeah, no, it is big time. I suppose for myself, what I'm thankful for this year is is running back depth. We lost Jamal Charles early in the season. We were 1-5 and and everything looked very grim. But uh, Charkandrick West, little Charmeleon West, has looked fantastic so far. And then he got injured uh, during the game last week. And Spencer Ware, who no one had really heard of, came out and just gashed. Seahawks cast off, as far as I remember. Yeah, yeah, he is. We're really good at picking up Seahawks cast offs. Yeah. Didn't we? Didn't we take a cast off like DB from you guys and then trade him back to you for a fifth round pick? I believe so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, it's, it's just very much a thing of the depth there is, is surprising. And especially for a team that like has a lot of question marks on the O-line itself, like it's really, really good to see that even with injuries, we can keep going and power through. And yeah, it's, it's nice to have. You could say uh, Spencer came out of nowhere. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and my, my pox little blanket, given that both of my ones are now gone, I suppose, uh, is going to have to be the catch rule. And uh, the confusion all around it. It is terrible for the game. It's confusing. No one really likes it. They have thankfully said that they're going to go and review it and change it over the off season. And that just can't come soon enough for me. It's just been a pain in the arse all season. So yeah, have all the smallpox. I have one final bonus smallpox blanket. <laughs> okay. For the Washington football team's continued legal attempts to justify their name. <laughs> This one's very appropriate, I feel, and really much in the holiday spirit. Oh, yes. Absolutely. I always remember that scene from, uh, from, from King of the Hill where Dale is talking to the Native American fella who fathered his kid. And he goes, do your, do your people celebrate Thanksgiving? And he just looks him dead in the eye and says, we did once. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose we'll move on to some more of the news then. Um, there was a couple of incidents this uh, this week that were very worrying in terms of coaches making very questionable injury-based decisions and really kind of calls into question a lot of the protocols and controls that the NFL have around these things. The two in particular that we're going to discuss, I suppose, would be the uh, Case Keenum incident and, uh, and to a slightly lesser extent, uh, the Tyrod Taylor incident as well. I presume you guys saw this. Case Keenum took a hell of a shot during the match on the weekend. Couldn't get up, didn't know where he was, was touching his head, was dazed, was confused. was very clearly concussed. And uh, Jeff Fisher decided to leave him in there and keep him playing for the next while. It was it was horrifying. Like, what do you think brings a person to do this? Especially given that they have another quarterback on the sidelines as well. That's probably no real difference given how he was playing. Well, what makes a person do this? I don't want to say, have you seen a Jeff Fisher team before? Yeah. But uh, look, Jeff Fisher is an asshole, not to put it too bluntly. Never really been one who looks out for his players that much. It wasn't really baffling, as you say, from a football perspective. 
uh, just given that Keenum hadn't been playing particularly well, and actually ultimately because he was concussed, ended up pretty much derping away the game at yeah. that point, which you can't really blame him because he didn't know where he was, yeah. but hadn't been playing spectacularly before then. Nick Foles is as good, if not slightly better. So it was a weird thing to leave him in the game from a, a mystifying from a football perspective, but from a health perspective, it's crazy. See, the league is trying to do so much about concussions, it's trying to do so much to protect quarterbacks. And when you see a guy get absolutely dumpstered and go down on the crown of his head, clearly have no idea where he is, somebody needs to be able to step in at that point and say, no, he's not coming back off the field, we are taking him away and we are, you know, we're going to go, he has to go through the procedure, he has to go through the protocol. And this is something I thought we learned from the RG3 incident where team doctors got overruled and he ended up going back out and ended up shredding his knee uh, in that playoff game. But no, apparently there's nobody there who was actually willing to take responsibility and take on the coach, take on the coach for making that decision. In theory, there's spotters that are meant to be doing this, um, and I don't know are they are they team staff members or something? They don't want to. Do, that was a much smaller incident, but uh, there was a similar home with Jose Mourinho at the start of this season with a physio, wasn't there? Oh, who the, wanted the to? Soccer, yeah. yeah, in the soccer. Another thing that really kills me about this one is that Jeff Fisher is on the competition committee. Is meant to be there making these rules for health and safety standards and stuff. Ronan, did you see the? Did you see the uh, the the Tyrod Taylor injury? Yeah, like, I think this is one of those ones where, like, that was definitely more of a footballing decision, like the Tyrod Taylor instance. Yeah. Like, the Case Keenan thing, like, we know how concussions, like, hurt the whole the, the whole league and these individual players and that you can't leave this up to coaches because coaches just don't know what they're doing. I think with, like, Tyrod Taylor, it's the same, it's, it's the same uh, type of problem that coaches just aren't willing to do what's in the best interest of their players. There's only winning now. Yeah. And the players, because obviously the NFL is such a hyper-competitive league, are never going to be willing to bring themselves out, that someone needs to be able to step in there and say, okay, maybe this player shouldn't be going out if their you know, arm is going to fall off or they're very seriously injured. At least in this case, I suppose, like, you know, if it's a phys- it's a physical ailment in your know in your upper body or something like that, that's usually not going to be you know end your life severely prematurely. But it's still something which could end their career if that goes wrong. Oh yeah, I think like yeah. there's definitely a need for like you know, neutral arbiters to go. Okay, this is like to take some of the control away from the teams and say sometimes a player shouldn't be put out there and that they should be taken out because all the incentives for every other actor just aren't lining up with making sure players' welfare is put at the top. You know, the top of the priority list by these people. Yeah, I think that's that's very true. I think independent medical staff is something the league really needs to look at if it's going to be in any way serious about protecting players' health. Yeah, because these incidents were dangerous decisions. Oh, they were, especially when we saw like Keenum after like he was clearly concussed and he got hit again about three plays that are very hard. And you know, like the whole thing is it's cumulative effects of of these hits. It's the brain knocking around inside the skull. Like that's it's it's, it's horrendous stuff. And really, the NFL needs to do something to try and sort this stuff out. I suppose on to a more positive note, who might get fired? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have a quick look at some of the coaches around the league that we think might be on uh, slightly warm seats there. Their, their bums are getting toasty. Past the halfway point now, we can start to get an idea of, of, of who's coming out. So we're going to have a look at some of the ones we think are in trouble and then maybe have a quick chat about some of the ones who might be on the way up uh, afterwards. So I know, Ronan, you had, a, you had a couple of strong feelings on this. Like who, who Just throw out a name there, someone who you think is, uh, is probably on the hot seat. Chuck Pagano is in the hottest seat of all he him and management are already on very bad terms he's already talked about how he doesn't know whether he's going to be there next season and now the Colts are in a dogfight with the Houston Texans and perhaps the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, for that AFC South dumpster fire title mm-hmm. this kind of reminds me of Jim Harbaugh last year it's obviously just a situation where the coach and the like and the ownership and the GM have 
have reached an impasse where someone's going to lose. And in this case, Pagano's the one who's most likely to lose that game, especially considering the Colts aren't exactly looking dead on for making the playoffs uh, at all. And then in the playoffs, their chances of actually doing anything seem pretty slim at this point. Might even get a chance for the Kansas City Chiefs to get their revenge uh, in a wild card round this year. That'll be fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, no, there is, there is an, like, the one thing I think about Chuck Pagano is, like, in my head, he's already fired. Like, I don't, I don't see them keeping him on next year at all. So I don't think it's so much a hot seat as a trying to find a new chair. Yeah, I think, think, think when they ran that swinging gate play, we knew Pagano had given up. Yeah. Um, Dr. Evil has already pressed the button. That's it. I'm, uh, I'll throw out another name here. Uh, Mike McCoy, the, the head coach of the Chargers, he's been with them for three years. He's got a 21-22 record. That team is, is free-falling at the moment. And I think one of the things we, we've discussed is that like, there's scenarios where you can blame the personnel and there's scenarios where you blame the coaches. And when you've got a quarterback like Philip Rivers and you've got pieces like Antonio Gates and uh, Danny Woodhead and stuff like that in there, even even the rookie Melvin Gordon, like you've got pieces and you're just not performing. Like I think that's a scenario where even from an outsider's perspective, you look at it and you think that has to be something to do with the coaches. Harry? Yeah, I, I'd agree with that to an extent. I actually think one thing I disagree with you on is Melvin Gordon. I think that's a big whiff, uh, which actually is, counts against McCoy at this point. Yeah. Because that has, no, that has not panned out. But this is something you said, and we've all said many times in the podcast, they have a load of talent. They also have a load of injuries. Look at who Philip Rivers is throwing to now. Yeah. You know, that is not just the players. The reason that they don't have the players is to do with the decisions made by the management and by the coaching staff. And ultimately, who's going to fall on their sword? Is it going to be the coach or is it going to be the owner and the GM? It's the coach who's going to go first most of the time. Yeah. They might even clean house. They might wipe the, they might wipe the GM as well. Wouldn't be surprised. Um. But yeah, is there anyone else you think, Harry? Chip Kelly at this point, I think, <laughs> is getting very close to done unless the Eagles can somehow limp, to, limp into the playoffs. And even then, because, you know, they got rid of Andy Reid, who was, had got Philly to sort of a frustrating impasse where they were fine. Um, um, always in the playoffs, yeah, always never playoffs. doing anything. Exactly. And it had just become an extremely frustrating team. Chip Kelly, who ripped everything up, you know, changed the way they play, changed the playbook, changed a different style of play into the NFL, which worked for a while. But now the wheels have come off. And part of that is because Kelly took away the team Reed had built. And when Kelly was working with the team Reed had built, it worked okay. And when it was new, it worked okay. But now all that's gone and Kelly is bringing in his guys, believing that it doesn't matter who I have in here, the system is supreme. Turns out that A, the system isn't that good, and B, the players he's brought in aren't that good either. Yeah. So that's looking like he's, he's really put himself into an extremely dangerous position. Where he's still a coach, you know, had that spectacular start, still has a winning record overall, but the recent performance of the team has been awful, like genuinely awful. Pretty much all of that comes back to the edifice he has tried to build, just not being suitable to creating a good NFL team. Well, the, the, the thing people will always throw out, Eagles fan, fans will always throw out in the fence, is that, well, look, he's got a winning record. He's had two very good winning seasons and so on. But, like, you're right entirely. Like, he inherited probably one of the best rosters talent-wise in the NFL has since then taken over control of player and, and personnel decisions and has systematically dismantled and gotten rid of a lot of the playmakers that they had. And now that it's not working, this is the thing, there's not even in this scenario really a, a oh, the GM's not picking the right players for you. So you're picking your own goddamn players, Chip, and you're just shocking. There's only one, old, the only other coach with that level of power is Bill Bilicek and... Chip Kelly has been found to be no Bill Belichick. <laughs> He's not even Bill Belichick, Fizzle. Belichick. <laughs> there's a few. There's a few other ones. Obviously, there's like McCoy, Caldwell, Gruden, possibly even like Fisher, and maybe Bill O'Brien. Like, there's a few of them, but I think 
they're ones where their seasons are going slightly better now in the back half and possibly that resurrection will help them hold on to their jobs for, for another year. So we'll see with that. So we'll move on to the second part of this then. Uh, kind of people who we see around the league who we think might be moving up into uh, head coaching positions. I'll kick off with uh, Sean McDermott. He's the defensive coordinator for the Panthers. And that's a unit that is performing amazingly. He's done a great thing with them. It's not like it's not like it's packed with superstars. They've got good players in good positions. But it's not, you know, it's not your we've spent 25 million on a cornerback kind of scenario. He's just got a good scheme. He's clearly good at instructing the players and getting them behind him. And I think he's going to be someone that people are going to be kind of to target after this year. There's a number of teams that I think it would suit, like teams who want to have a good defensive mindset. I know he's only there a year and possibly he won't get the chop this year, but I could see like the 49ers thinking this will get us back to the old way that we used to play. And like this guy can really help us put that roster back together. I think probably like the one that's been talked about most right now, and I would definitely agree with is like Hugh Jackson, like who's uh, the defensive core, the offensive coordinator for the Cincinnati Bengals. He had a chance with the Raiders and actually did okay. He had a couple of like average seasons, uh, even even season, which is pretty good for the Raiders, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and he's kind of he's taken an offense which under Gruden had been seen to kind of lack a bit of identity or like to like a good solid unit built around Andy Dalton, but was kind of considered to be like average. I think what Hugh Jackson has done, like he's added some identity to it, and the identity is kind of the classic offensive identity of like a bit of smash night football to go with the kind of softer uh, skills of, like, Andy Dalton and obviously of players like A.J. Green. Hugh Jackson is kind of, he has the previous coaching experience where he didn't fail, he just happened to get into a uh, situation which was less than ideal and made a couple of questionable decisions which look better in retrospect, like trading for Carson Palmer. When people will see that, they'll be like, okay, this is someone definitely worth giving a chance, uh, worth giving another chance in the NFL. I would probably have him as favourite to take one of the seats that might be available. Um, as much as I would love to plump for the return of crazy Jim Harbaugh to the league, which will happen at some point and is going to be hilarious, I think when you're looking at sort of the, uh, the immediate short-term prospects, the name that jumps to my mind as a Patriots fan is Josh McDaniels, uh, the Patriots defense coordinator. Now, obviously, there was the whole Denver Tim Tebow incident uh, that may, you know, make some teams think twice about it, but they did still make the playoffs. It is a weird thing in New England that Bill Belichick produces these assistants that look amazing and then go elsewhere and don't look quite so amazing. Bill O'Brien is probably the current example of that. But McDaniels does have experience in head coaching role. Again, New England's offense does look better with him as a coordinator than without him a lot of the time. He's got a guy who is probably a better OC than a head coach, but certainly has all the credentials and all of the things you look for when you want to get a head coach. So I can definitely see another team taking a chance on him. And the second part of that is I can also see the Patriots being okay to let him go because they know he's probably going to end up coming back in two years as the defense coordinator again after washing out <laughs> with, I don't know, Tennessee or something. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, so there's a few of the prospects. There's a few other ones. Obviously, there's a couple of college coaches and stuff like that, but uh, there's there's a lot of rumours about Nick Saban possibly coming in, which oh, would be... Uh, Every year, though, that's basically... Yeah, I think there is, there is, there is some, a little bit more comprehensive talk about it this time around. I'm not sure, because I, 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 I don't really want, follow a huge amount of college myself. Okay, it's only when we get near the draft and I start watching highlight reels of people that I kind of go, God, that must be a really good coach because this player looks fucking class. I suppose the fact that it's just that no teams in college can play defense. Yeah, that's it. Like one interesting idea might be we could see Sean Payton being traded, that kind of thing. I think 
he might be reaching the end of the road. I don't think that would be a firing. That might just be a mutual, okay, let's just finish this up. Because I think he, him and Drew Brees might be uh, in play this, this summer. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me anyway, considering where New Orleans are right now. Yeah. What I was actually thinking about, because he's kind of, he's been working as an assistant head coach for the last year with them and has now slid into the OC position, is Chud. Chud. Uh, taking over the Colts when Pagano goes. I'm not sure if it would be a yeah. good decision, it's but it's, interesting it's one, one that... Because he's, yeah. he's, he's in the house and they seem to have a lot of faith in him. That's great, lads. We're going to move on to looking at some of the games from last week. So this week, because we've got a good couple of questions from listeners, uh, we're going to focus on three games. Uh, that is also a reflection on the fact that there was a, not a huge amount of really compelling games this week. There were some interesting games, but there was a lot of one-sided games. Uh, so the first one that we're going to look at is one of the good games. Cincinnati at Arizona, 31-34. to This was a fantastic game. The Battle of the Juniors in prime time. And even though they lost, I actually did think that Cincinnati looked quite good in this game. And uh, and Andy Dalton was performing well in in, uh, in prime time. So uh, winning field goal, two seconds left on the clock, which was made easier due to a very strange penalty. One of the defensive players, Pecco, I believe it is, got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty called him because he was yelling fake audibles over the line to try and throw them off as they were trying to spike the ball. But yeah, so two interceptions for Palmer, but he powered through and scored four touchdowns. It was a test of metal for both teams, and they both performed well in what was a very close game. Uh, did you see much of the game, Harry? Yeah, I saw. I actually did see most of this one. So I didn't. I didn't just. Thought, no, that's a lie. I fell asleep at halftime again. Had to watch the highlights. <laughs> <laughs> Me and primetime games are not fun. Uh, not friends, rather. No, I, I did see. I did see the the first half live, and then I caught up with it um, the next day. The first thing that yeah strikes forward is again. It's just from Arizona again, and I've done this a few times this season. They've got themselves into a really weird situation going into the half where they've kind of been okay, but they've made what for a lot of teams would be back breaking mistakes. Yeah, uh, Palmer in this case threw a couple of picks that really were quite avoidable. But then they come out in the second half, and again, I don't know what Bruce Arians does at half time. Uh, he did say earlier in the season he's too old to throw things around the locker room anymore. <laughs> but genuinely, whether it's just that he's a really good motivator or whether he's just really good at adapting the way the team plays, I think it's a bit of both. The Cardinals, again, came out like determined to overcome the problems that they made for themselves. And it wasn't just the big names stepping up. It was guys like J.J. Nelson, mm. like David Johnson. Everybody has a part to play in that team. And every single player contributed in, in that game. It was just one of those... It was really just a team performance against the Cincinnati team that obviously really wanted to get back on track after the awful loss last week to Houston. And it also it was a game like Cincinnati trying to stay well clear of Pittsburgh in their race and then yeah. Arizona trying to get a bit of a bit of space in their own divisional race as well. So there was a lot sort of on the line in this one, despite it not necessarily being between two teams, whether or not they beat each other mattered, but whether or not they won that game mattered a huge amount for them. So yeah, no, it was it was great fun and it was just uh, both both teams played fantastic. Cincinnati's defense Again, as it has on several occasions this season, actually looked really, really good. Surprisingly so, yeah. uh, until sort of again, just sort of towards the end of the game, fading off a bit. But yeah, no, fantastic back and forth, great to watch. And like, like if, if Arizona are in any way still in the game at halftime, you really can't count them out mm. because they do play better after the break mm. when they're down. Now, there was a couple of mistakes just in the back end where the where the Bengals could have actually sealed this game up mm. towards the back end. Uh, but like I said, for the most part, quite a quite a good performance from all involved. Like Ronan, what do you think the Bengals could have done different uh, in this game to kind of to, to, to turn the result around? Well, I think like their biggest problem is that they had quite a few injuries in their secondary, and they kind of just told towards the end. Like they, it's very hard to see how they could have done better because the margin of error was so small in this game. It, it basically came down to just 
like that final drive, they just needed to be better. They needed to stop Carson Palmer. I've not basically seen them any worse than they were when they went to the game. They still looked like a, a top-shelf team. This game was just so close and both teams are so talented and both teams are so on, like, on such a uh, good run this season that it's very hard to see where they could do much better. Like they're, they're play, like Their players continue to do too bad. Like the one thing that they could do is get perhaps... Uh, like the defense on the back end, need like they just need to get healthy there. Uh, but there's not much you can do about that. You just kind of have to get through it. Just like oh, every team has to get through injuries, and hopefully when you know prime time comes around in the playoffs, which they should be in, they they'll have their pieces back and be able to put in a good showing. Yeah, this might be the first time that we see them actually win a bloody playoff game. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, no. Overall, I, I think yeah, I agree with you guys. It was very entertaining to watch. I I fucking love this Cardinals team. They're just so enjoyable. I get entirely what you were saying in the earlier section, Fitz. Like they're just they're just a pleasure to watch. Like it's just exciting football like it should be. Like And it's the right type of personalities, you know? It's like that's it. There's none of this none of this diva crap. These are all old men who are just like, I just want a bit of victory here. A bit of a, a bit of a whiff of Kurt Warner off it, isn't there? There is a little bit, isn't there? there? Oh no, is Roethlisberger going to win another Super Bowl? <laughs> <laughs> so I suppose from one NFC kind of leading leading team here nearly uh, to two fighting out for a divisional title. In the neutral zone this week, we've got Green Bay at Minnesota. Called it! 30-13, to 13, Green Bay making a statement game here. Fat Lacey got over 100, or got actually exactly 100 yards. I believe uh, the defense, the Green Bay defense stepped up something fierce. Six sacks in this game. <laughs> it was incredible. And they held Adrian Peterson to 45 yards. Teddy Bridgewater looked very good. He, he, he had better better stats, a much better looking stat line at the end of it than uh, Aaron Rodgers did. Uh, 300 passing yards, 43 rushing yards. He was only two yards behind Adrian Peterson in terms of rushing in this game. So I suppose, Fitz, I'll go to you on this one. Is this the Vikings crumbling or is it just the return of the pack? The Vikings had a pretty soft first half of the season. They've managed to get over the hump because their defense is probably, you know, top, probably top, a top 10 defense, probably not in the top five. And then their offense has Adrian Peterson, who's been good, though he has had a worrying uh, propensity to, like, fumble the ball this season. I think that was his, he made a pretty uh, disastrous fumble. In this game, I think that's probably I think it's his fifth fumble no, of the season. That's number six, and oh, the, six, yeah, and the yeah. most bizarre thing about it is all six of his fumbles have been at home games. It's very weird, but he's still getting the yards, so like he still looks good. It's just as kind of you know, it's bad luck or, or other mm. things like that. Maybe maybe tiny little bit of rustiness. The Vikings have looked better than their record, and once the Packer once the Packers could get the run game going, and Lacey finally like, seemed like the week off has seemed to have done wonders for Eddie Lacey. If Eddie Lacey can get going again, even though he still looks a little bit heavy, if he can just carry players, which he just did, did in this <laughs> game, you'll see the Packers get that relief that they needed because obviously with all the injuries that they've had on the offensive side of the football, having a semblance of a run game, it doesn't need to be a great run game, it just needs to be a, like a decent run game that will make all the difference to let Aaron Rodgers actually get away with what he was doing earlier in the season, get back to that game plan. It's what got them so far last season, it's what they've suffered from the last like on their three game skid. And like if the week off has got Haley Lacey back up to speed, then they should go there. And for the the for the Vikings, it's a really tough back half of the season for them. I think they'll probably still be good enough to make uh, a wild card spot, but it will be a lot closer than they'll probably expect based on the record that they brought into this game. Like Harry, did you see anything different schematic? Obviously Lacey actually <coughs> turning up was a bit of a difference maker for them. 
Like, did you see anything different schematically the Green Bay are doing? Because you've talked a couple of times on the show about the Vikings have a pretty decent like back half of their back half of their defense, decent secondary there. What was what was the difference in this game to the last couple? You know, I'm not sure it was something. It, it's weird. It wasn't one of those. It wasn't something immediately obvious because for the first little while, Green Bay did look like I thought they were going. And then what happened was Green Bay basically did the same thing to the Vikings as the Vikings were doing to Green Bay, i.e., just making it very difficult for them to play play football initially. I'm not quite sure what happened because it just felt like the Vikings cracked first. And I think the critical difference was was that the Packers defense did an like stepped up so much, did an incredible job of containing the run game that allowed them to push around the Vikings O line, which isn't perhaps the best in the world, forced Bridgewater to move around a bit more. It's what I thought they were going to do to Rogers. Whereas you could see Green Bay just get more comfortable as the game went on. And I think the the return of Lacey was critical to that because it added that, and that was what I think ultimately difference in teams. One could establish a run game and one couldn't. And um, one of them, that gave enough time for a relatively creaky O-line to stand up against the defense. But um, yeah, no, it was pretty much about, all about being able to establish that run again. Like Ron said, it's exactly that, that week off for Lacey made a huge difference. I don't know if like they've just taped a picture of a donut to the inside of his face mask <laughs> or something. And he's just... Go, go, go. Yeah, it's in the end zone. It's in the end zone, Eddie. But uh, no, it, it, it just made all the difference. And that gave Rodgers again the time. It let him get comfortable. And then from that point on, it was just a case of, right, we can just control this game. We can control the tempo. But yeah, it's it's an interesting back half of the runs. In the back half, the Packers have the Bears, the Lions, the Cowboys, the Raiders, the Cardinals, and the Vikings. And then the Vikings have the Falcons, the Seahawks, the Cardinals, the Bears, the Giants, and then the Packers. It's it's one, depending on how form continues for these teams, it could run very close. And I think it's going to make for a very interesting final week game because it's Vikings traveling to Packers for the final game that both of these teams have in the season. And that could be very important. But yeah, so that's great. We're going to move on now to the uh, to the dumpster fireside chats and uh, a game that we told you last week. Just just don't bother watching. It was uh, it was brutal. Rams just keep on ramsing, and Baltimore just get more depressed. There was no standout performance in this game whatsoever, apart from Case Keenan being able to stand after <laughs> taking some of those hits. The Rams fumbled the ball five times, and uh, yet no one hit twenty points in this game. Joe Flacco is now out for the season, and uh, apparently with the type of injury he's taken, it could be that he misses all of the offseason all the way up to the start of the of next season. Justin Forsett broke his arm. The Both of the bones in his forearm broke. That's just horrible. It's flapping around. Did, did you see the hit? Like, he got absolutely lost. He got, like, thrown into the oh, ground directly on his elbow. Horrible. But yeah, so Joe Flacco, even with that horrible injury, powered through to stay on the field for the end of the game, which is remarkable and then another close field goal in the dying seconds of this game this was i'll start with you harry are we looking at a dead ravens team here is there anything left to be had at all from the season apart from maybe a high pick not really i said baltimore are gonna win this game because they're gonna find a way to lose it and baltimore won the game and that's the positives to baltimore their entire offense has managed to get injured this season more or less they've lost the best receiver they've lost the running back They've lost their quarterback, and now Matt Schaub has to be the quarterback, which is yeah. great. For Baltimore, this was just a game that whether or not they won really didn't matter. It was a pyrrhic victory at the very, very best. A, a miserable, narrow win against a bad Rams team that did everything in their power to lose the game, and you lose your running back and your quarterback. That is just not worth oh, it. It's hard. That is the definition of not worth it. I don't think they're going to move away from Joe Flacco next year, but there is an element of Joe Flacco's due $28 million in his contract next year. Now, they'll probably make changes to the structure and bring that down a little bit. Like these kind of pressure years where you're getting a large lump sum the following year isn't really the one where you want to have to then say, 
Ivan Gwak going to be available for training for nine to ten months and stuff like that. It's not exactly the best situation for him. Not great. And they should have kept Tyro Taylor. Yeah, Jesus. Uh, I wonder what they'd offer in trade for him now at this point. Um, Ronan, are the Rams' feelings on the coaches? Are they on the personnel? Are they on... Why is this team that has so much talent on its roster, at least in theory, why are they just being so shit? Well, it's the offense. Like, with the exception of Todd Gurley, perhaps Tavon Austin, they don't really have anything going for them on offense. Their offensive line is mediocre, like they, they made that big investment in Jake Long, I believe, and that didn't really work out. So they haven't really done much on that since then. A wide receiver, they're playing nobodies. Like they brought back Wes Welker, as we mentioned last week. That kind of tells you how desperate they are. They have like overrated players like Jared Cook, like eating up cap money there. And then obviously quarterback, they've just had nothing. Like Nick Foles looks like a busted flush already. I doubt we'll see him there next season. I'd say they'll probably ship him, maybe even call him, depending on the contract structures. Case Keenum isn't obviously the solution for anyone. Mm. The defense is obviously elite, but Jeff Fisher needs to realize that you know you do need to have some kind of offensive output. As we mentioned previously, he isn't the right person to make that choice and to make the decisions necessary. The problem is that they're going to finish 7-9 again, get a mid-first round pick, and that just means that they won't get access to the type of elite offensive talent that they need to make that turnaround. They had a, they had a big chance, obviously, a couple of years ago when they had a load of a load of first-round draft picks. Obviously, Aaron Donald worked out fantastically for them. The other pick, uh, Robinson, the offensive tackle, he was actually the guy who got beat on that play where Case Keenum got crocked. You've got to wonder with Fisher how many, you know, you can get another first high, high pick at some point, but are they going to make the best use of it? That's, that's entirely questionable. There's one other note I want to say about the Rams. Wes Welker, you know, we got all our doubts, but he was back in absolute prime Wes Welker form by dropping a critical third down catch late <laughs> in the game. They, a terrible troll, though, I think. I believe, I believe this is they threw him in nine of their third down spots, which is a lot of trust to put in a man who doesn't know where he's playing. <laughs> this isn't Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe maybe he's just there to try and help Case Keenum figure out how to play after all these shots he's taken. That's a fair point. He's really hard target to miss. He's got that big helmet on him. So. <laughs> Jesus. Is, he, is he wearing the giant helmet again? He is, yeah. <clears throat> I think he has. Jeff Christ. Fisher is not that cruel, although... <laughs> yeah, he could be. <laughs> that was a terrible game. I hope you didn't watch it. We're going to move on to some of our listener questions now. So we're going to look at three questions this week that came in from some of the listeners. So uh, the first one comes from uh, Michael, who also sent in the question last week. He says, uh, it's, a, it's a bit of an interesting one, but I suppose ties in with the theme. So, who would you have over for Thanksgiving? Would you take Eli Manning or Rex Ryan? One is incredibly sad and one is mental. So I suppose it's an interesting guy. We don't really do Thanksgiving over here, but I'm, I'm all for sitting back, getting drunk and watching football on Thursday. Like so... Uh, I, I think it's one that I can get behind. See, Eli Manning would annoy the fuck out of me. Like, I wouldn't be able to hack him. Rex Ryan, I think it'd be great crack if he got a couple of beers into him. And then, like, just, just don't walk around, like, barefoot or anything. Because <laughs> uh, he's just, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I think I'd go with Rex Ryan because I think he'd get drunk and he'd start a fight or something and it would be at least entertaining. Whereas Eli would be just kind of quiet and awkward and sat in the corner. You're not going to, like, when you bring a friend to a party and you have to just stand there and chat with them and they're like, oh God, this is, this is fun. Oh, why did you go talk to some people? Oh no, no, I'll, I'll hit stay here and talk with you and you're stuck with them for the whole night. You can't have any crack. That's what I think Eli Manning would be like. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's pretty comprehensive analysis that I can't disagree with that much. The one thing I would say is, is that given that we know that Rex Ryan once got drunk and punched Rob Ryan unconscious, 
if you were having a family Thanksgiving affair where you maybe didn't want to send it to a math brawl, Eli might be the guy to go with because you sit him down at the kiddie table and it'd be grand and nothing exciting would happen. Whereas if Rex came over, he would probably hit your grandma over the head with a dish of potatoes because she won't take her shoes off. I would love if Rex Ryan came over to my house and started beating up Rob Ryan. That would be <laughs> class. It was Rob Ryan or your grandma. That's probably just drunk enough. He's the long silver hair and he's like, Stop looking like a country music star. Uh, Fitz, what would you pick? I think it's hard to look beyond Rex Ryan in the fun dinner steaks I think like I think as you said like if you're going to have if you're going to have a Thanksgiving dinner then you might as well make it fun you just want to make sure you have plenty of like uh, alcohol on hand to get through the night like Eli you know like alcohol is a depressant you need an upper and there's no one upper than more upper than Rex Ryan he's like cocaine in human form (laughs) (laughs) that would be good fun uh, I think so yeah so I believe we'll go for we'll we'll go for Rex Ryan there Michael cheers Uh, next one comes in for Francis what happens first? Kaepernick becomes a starting quarterback or Rob Ryan becomes a defensive coordinator again? I think it's Rob Ryan. The situation Kaepernick's got himself into now where he's been moved to IR with, you know, inverted commas around it. Mm. Uh, he just got off the roster to free up space for somebody else. He's a reclamation project, but it's a reclamation project that's going to take a while before he is a starter. Whereas Rob Ryan, despite things souring, I think it's easier to overcome bad patches when you're a coach with history than when you're a player with a much briefer, mm. albeit pretty, pretty good history. But I think, yeah, Rob, Rob Ryan's got enough about him uh, that he's done in the past that somebody will be willing to take a punt on him, given that there are a lot of teams with pretty weak and disorganized defenses. But that cachet will probably, maybe even as early as next season, maybe a late, late if there's a firing or maybe the season after, uh, he'll be picked up. Whereas Kaepernick, I think, is going to find a team, but I think he's going to sit for, at the very least, the season. Uh, I wouldn't be so sure. Like, like, the one universal truth of the NFL is that there's always far fewer like quarterbacks than there are teams that like that people actually want to play. I think what Harry's saying is will be right in the long term. Like for Kaepernick to get back to where he needs to be, he will need a couple of seasons off to develop his game. But I can definitely see someone giving a tra- like throwing in a few picks, trying to trade for him, and saying, "I'll be the I, I'm the coach who can make fix this player pay person." But I wouldn't even be surprised to see him be the named starting quarterback for a team next uh, next September. Yeah, like to be honest, I'm I'm probably leaning more towards what you're saying, Ronan, as well. I think I think that he would be best served if he wasn't, if he went somewhere and he sat for a year, and I think that's what would actually make him a better quarterback and make him a viable quarterback. But I think yeah, there's enough teams that are going to be hungry for someone to be a starter that they'll take them, they'll work with them in the off season. They'll say, oh, he's showing so much progress. He's really getting our system. We've simplified it for him and justify themselves putting him in. I'm saying it now. If Chip Kelly is not fired, Kaepernick will be the starting quarterback for the <laughs> Eagles know, next RG3, year. RG3, RG3. Oh, God. No, because Chip Kelly's racist. <laughs> <laughs> Kaepernick's half black. Ah, yeah, but, you know, he's, he's not as black as RG3 <laughs> in the eyes of Chip Kelly, the racist. Allegedly. Allegedly. I, I will say this. <clears throat> the, way, the way you say that, and um, you know what that's really reminding me of? <clears throat> and this is quite worrying for Kaepernick. That's really reminding me of exactly the way people talk about Josh Freeman. Oh, God, yeah. That didn't go too well. Yeah, Which, uh, a very similar situation, I think. Yeah, Kaepernick will be on a team next year. He will be maybe not the week one starter, but I could see him being a week one starter. But yeah, as you said, we've had nearly 16 teams start secondary quarterbacks this year, so there's a strong chance he'll do it. And you know that same thing. Kaepernick is a good athlete. 
He knows enough that he can play a few good games. If he gets into a spot where they've got a crap quarterback or an injured quarterback and he plays one or two games and uses his legs a bit and gets something going on in the offense, then there's a good chance they'd hold on to him and keep him in place. And then the third question comes in from uh, Sean, Kiss the Rings fame. I was having a drink with Ronan last week. So Ronan, I believe this is you, is it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you were discussing the playoff wild cards and who's going to who's going to make it. He thought you were adamant that the Seahawks are going to make it, and he was wondering if you were a bit of a homer. So we thought we'd expand this a little bit. I'm just going to see now because it's all got a little bit muddled since we did our uh, our, our mid season review. Um, where we think the wild cards are going to be landing. So yeah. So in the AFC wild card race, I'm still relatively happy with the ones I said. I think it's going to be the Steelers. And I'm now giving the edge because I said it was a 50-50 between Oakland and the Chiefs for the sixth spot. I'm now edging to that being the Chiefs after performance over the last two weeks. Yeah, I, I took the Steelers as one of mine. I still think that's true. I think they're in, easily in the strongest position at this stage. My other pick was the Jets as a fan of the Patriots. In looking at that now being like, I don't know what I was thinking at the time. <laughs> I should have known the Jets are still the Jets. So yeah, obviously that would change at this stage. Uh, obviously, it's a big old mess, and there's part of me that's like, there actually could be a second AFC South team just because everybody else is just determined to lose games. Yeah, but no, not, not well. Hopefully not. At this stage, to be honest, I've got to agree with you. I think Kansas City are in the strongest position to take that second wild card spot. Like our hardest game and probably the most important game because it's the Bills. We're playing them on Sunday. And that's going to be a very important that's game. Big, yeah. What about yourself, Ronan? The wild cards for the AFC. Yeah, like I would agree. The Steelers are probably the favorite to take the wild card. And with an outside chance that the Bengals, they could catch up with the Bengals, but then the Bengals would be the wild card. And then between, like, most likely the Chiefs and the Bills for that second wild card spot, the Chiefs have managed to get over their, like, injuries so far. But, like, that would be my only worry that eventually the lack of uh, talent will show and that the teams will, like, will just start stacking the box so much that they might be bottled up. We shouldn't forget that they did manage to go 1 in 5 to start the season. The Bills have lots of talent, but as we've mentioned previously, are a pretty brittle team. Like, they could win out, they could lose out, they could do anything. They're Rex Ryan's team. Whatever, let's go. Woo! <laughs> uh, the Texans slash Colts uh, have a chance, simply because they play AFC side teams. And I wouldn't put money on it. I like uh, you have the Texans and the Colts the wild card, meaning you've conceded my point that Jaguars are going to win the division. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was more thinking swapping them for the first Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, sure, why not? Uh, I suppose that we'll, we'll have a look then as well at the NFC and where we think where we think those are, because this is really what Sean was getting at. In the wildcard hunt, you have the Falcons, who just look like they're in a tailspin right now. Yeah. With that really tough loss against Matt Hasselbeck's you know, <laughs> geriatric club. Called it! <laughs> and... Like after that, then like the Vikings, as we mentioned already, have a tough, tough, uh, like a tough back end of their season, and maybe have shown a frailty there against the Packers that might be exploited going forward. But then once you get past that, it's like you look at the teams that are around that, like the Bucks at five and five. Like, do we believe in Jameis Winston sufficiently to overcome what is a pretty talent deficient team, especially on defense? Uh, we have like at four and six, four and six, you have like. Hardly a killer's role. All the teams have these major issues. So, like, it's more like, uh, my argument for the Seahawks is less, you know, the Seahawks are playing well. It's just like, by removing all the other teams, you could come to the conclusion that the Seahawks are probably a better team than all of those teams, except perhaps the Vikings. So, you should expect them to come above them at the end of the season. 
It'll be interesting to see because I think I think at the moment I'm looking at it and thinking Minnesota because I think they've got they've got a good record so far. Even if they kind of just go lose half their games for the rest of the season, they'll still be a good enough record to stay up there. I think your real competition for the Seahawks is going to come out of the Falcons, and I agree with you entirely. And I said this last week as well. I think they're gack. I don't think they're a good team, but I think they've got a lump of wins already in the, in the column, and they've got a relatively easy schedule. That said. They're also a shit team, so they're a shit team playing shit teams, so they can go anyway. But like, if they pick up three of those, it's going to be very hard to catch up with them. But if you look at their back end, they, like their next game is actually the Vikings, and they have to play the Panthers twice. Then. They can lose those ones. I'm feeling pretty good about this in terms of prediction, because I think I was the only one of us who called the Vikings at midseason. Yeah. And I also was the first one of us to give up hope on the Falcons uh, this year. I would agree, and I think I'd actually stick by my initial calls in that regard, because um, yeah, I think the Vikings are pretty clearly the favourites to take that first wildcard spot. And then I think, as Ronan correctly identifies, when you look at who the other prospects are, the Seahawks are probably the best team of them. And although, yes, their schedule is slightly tougher, I think they have enough talent to see that out, whereas a team like the Falcons, they could only win one more game this season. They are they are that bad, and they are that weak. Like I think the Bucks are probably a better bet to make the playoffs now than the Falcons, just considering how bad they've been. Like The teams that they've lost to, it's just very bad. And there was, yeah, the, geez, the, the, the Bucks, but was it five touchdowns? James threw yeah. Doug, Doug Martin, 240 rushing yeah, yards. Jesus yeah, Jesus Christ. He broke the record for the most yards ever... Uh, rushed against the Eagles, and then in true Tampa Bay Buccaneers style, got tackled for a five-yard loss and <laughs> lost the record. <laughs> that is fan-fucking-tastic. Jesus. Oh, oh, man. So, yeah, Sean, Ronan is full of shit, but he might be right on this one. <laughs> but the Falcons are still legit, though. I don't... Oh, I don't. Super, super elite legit, yo. So, I suppose we'll swing over and have a look at our picks for next week's games. So we've got a lot of disagreement this week. Uh, I think we got six we disagree on, so we're going to fly through the ones that we do agree on. Uh, Carolina traveling down to Dallas. We've all taken Carolina. Harry? Yeah, this is why the Cowboys aren't going to make the playoffs. Um, they look better with Romo. They're still with an awful lot of problems. Carolina look amazing, and are just going to teabag them. Yeah, it's going to be fantastic to watch. Chicago traveled to Green Bay, and we've all taken Green Bay. Fitz? Yeah, Green Bay showed a return to form. You should expect them to be able to take a Chicago team, which has shown improvement, but still looks a step below being really worth uh, playoff consideration. We've got St. Louis heading down to Cincinnati. Uh, We've all taken Cincinnati. Basically, Cincinnati are playing really well. The Rams aren't, and they've got a dickhead for a coach who happily injures his own players. So the Rams are going to win. Yeah. (laughs) That's the one thing I was was thinking of Harry's whole thing of, like, they'll lose every game they should win, and they'll win the games they should lose. It's like... Cincinnati gonna lose. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it's Tampa Bay at Indianapolis. We've all taken Tampa Bay. Harry, I was very, very, very close on this one. Given what we saw last week, I think Tampa Bay are probably going to be marginally less incompetent than the Falcons, and marginally less incompetent should be enough to beat an indie team that looks worse than I thought it would with Hasselbeck at the helm. San Diego travel down to Jacksonville, lovely, balmy Jacksonville. We've all taken Jacksonville. Is it just because we like the jacuzzis running? Mainly that, yes. But also, San Diego, have, have, like their season's pretty much over, but Jacksonville have everything to play for. So I expect that Jacksonville should be able to take them on with what is looking like a really nice offense coming together. Yeah. Vikings travel down to Atlanta, and we've all taken the Vikings. Basically, Atlanta are a shit pile of a team. Minnesota are pretty good. Oakland at Tennessee, we've all taken Oakland. Why is that, Harry? 
Opened, fragile still, have problems sort again this week. Tennessee, not good enough on defense to exploit those problems. Uh, Arizona traveled down to San Francisco, and we've all taken Arizona. Why would that be the case? Because San Francisco have the worst team in the NFC, probably, and Arizona are awesome. So, yeah, even I can admit that as as a Seahawks fan. Yeah. Uh, Baltimore traveled down to Cleveland. We've all got Cleveland taking the win here. Basic rationale for this. Baltimore don't have any players left. <laughs> Cleveland do. Uh, that, that should be enough. And uh, final game of all got agreement on. I'm surprised actually we're all in agreement on this one. Uh, although I suppose, yeah, like I, I, I can understand. New England traveled to Denver in what, in theory, would have been a fantastic game. Harry, why have we all taken New England? Because a team with no wide receivers can beat a team with no quarterback. <laughs> this is going to be this is one of the games like oh it's going to be so exciting it's going to be awful like, sure, yeah. both teams offense have fallen to pieces over the last few weeks but I think New England you know with Tom Brady at the helm and with I think are just a better coach team at this point and I think that's just going to give them an edge against the Denver team that are we, as we saw are up for it but as we saw against Chicago are still have a lot of problems on offense even with Manning gone yeah actually is there any update on um, was it Amandola went out with the knee injury None yet. It's impossible to tell with the Patriots because we often list like the entire roster as questionable going into games. But without Amendola, it's uh, it's it's a problem. All right, so we're going to move on to some of the contentious picks we've got. Uh, so the first one is Philadelphia traveling to Detroit. I've taken Philadelphia, and you lads have taken Detroit. Fitz, why Detroit? Well, Detroit have actually started the front up and have put on like I got a couple of good wins. Like they look like a team which has a point to prove, and that Caldwell seems to have turned them around after that disaster in London while the Philadelphia Eagles are looking more and more like a team that's about to go into a major tailspin. I think Detroit, based on what they're able to do, are a team on the up, and that should be enough to push them over a Philadelphia team, which really is starting to creak at all the edges. Yeah. Like, I agree that Philadelphia aren't looking great. I think one of the reasons they looked so bad was uh, missing Ryan Matthews. I think there's a chance that he's back for this game, which would be good. Uh, I think they Got some interesting stuff on offense that they can do. We've seen it in some games where they've looked fantastic. They've been terrible the last week or two. Uh, my main reason for this is that having seen the Detroit Lions in person, like I just can't back them to what he, I know they've won two games now in a row, but they're still fucking terrible. Eagles are terrible. Detroit are terrible. Eagles slightly more motivated, I think, because there's still stuff for them to play for. Um, I wouldn't go quite as far as Ronan, but... I think he's fundamentally correct. Detroit have won two games on the bounce. I wouldn't say they've necessarily turned a corner or anything, but they've shown a bit of toughness, particularly defensively. And the two teams they've beaten have been two teams with relatively explosive offences. Philly looked rudderless. Mark Sanchez has been, in true Mark Sanchez style, absolutely hopeless. You look at a team where the turnaround has mostly been on the defence, and then you look at a team whose offence is as scattershot and unreliable as Philly's, and this just seems like a game that they are set up to lose because right now where they are flailing is where Detroit looks strong. And while Detroit's offense still has problems, Philly's defense still isn't looking very good. Oh, yeah. No, like, I agree with it entirely, lads. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's those ones. I think Philadelphia will have a bit of fire in the stomach because there's still a chance that they can do something with this season. Um, next game we're going to look at is Buffalo traveling out to Kansas City Chiefs in a game that has incredibly important outcomes for the wildcard race at the moment. I've taken Kansas City, Fitz has taken Buffalo, and Harry's taken Kansas City. So I'll start with Harry. Oh, Connor, I mean, I should actually leave this to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't talk no. for long, I've got a lot. Okay. Uh, Kansas, <laughs> Bell and Buffalo. CD. No. <laughs> um, no, I'll try and take some of it so we don't have to listen to Connor for the next 15 minutes. 
Um, <laughs> no, genuinely, Kansas City's defense has clicked so well over the last few weeks. We don't know, like, I don't know if Tyrod Taylor going to start this game or not, given the injury. Probably not, I would say. Um, so yeah, I don't know if Tyrod Taylor's going to play. It's probably going to be EJ Manuel. I don't like the look of EJ Manuel against uh, Kansas City defense that has really stepped it up recently. Kansas City's offense still looks fine. Buffalo's defense has been good, but wobbly over the last few weeks. Yes, they looked okay against the Patriots, but that was a Patriots team that somehow came out of that game with even less wide receivers than Kansas City had, which is quite impressive. Yeah. And also, um, Kansas City's run game, it doesn't seem to matter who's in there at the moment. Poor old Nile Davis, I mean, <laughs> what happened to him? But no, like, I think Kansas City are better on both sides of the ball at this stage than Buffalo are when you match it up. And especially with Tyrod Taylor gone, I think that one thing that gave Buffalo a bit of an X factor in how they play just isn't going to happen. Like, I have Buffalo, like, obviously the loss of uh, T-Rod will be a problem if, if he is out, which is, which looks likely. But I think, like, one of the big things that's happening for Buffalo now, now Shady, Shady McCoy is back in the lineup and actually doing something. And I think, like, the one-two punch of him and Carlos Williams will be able to cover up a lot of blemishes on the offense. Like, if Kansas City can continue their magic trick of making every running back look fantastic, maybe... Like, like that might be sufficient to get them over the hump. I, I just don't trust that yet. Like they had, a, like they had a good adjustment on the fly there, but in a game in which they were already pretty much dominating. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust against a defense which has actually looked pretty good. Like it's going to be a close game. It's going to be hard fought. Yeah, like I get, I get what you're saying, Ronan. I just think it's a spot where the Kansas City Chiefs defense has looked just insane the last couple of weeks. They're on a massive roll. The offense has looked a lot better. It's moving very, very well. Buffalo are lacking some of the explosiveness that you're that you're kind of giving them credit for. Uh, the Chiefs have been very strong against the run, and even if if Tyrod is playing, they've been very successful at stopping kind of mobile quarterbacks who get in and out. Like you, you saw it in the game last year, even against the Seahawks, when they kind of just shut down Russell Wilson entirely. They've got good schemes to deal with that type of offensive Buffalo run. I do think the Buffalo defense will be a challenge for a KC team that's not like not exactly explosive on offense. Let's be honest, but the defense can score some points. Uh, Santos can probably kick ninety-five yard field goals. So that'll be fine. The X factor in this game is Colquitt, our punter. He is a <laughs> champion. He's, uh, he's currently, like, by a considerable distance, leading the league in, like, punts inside the 10 and inside the 5. Like, field position, especially in a tight game, defensive game like this, is key. You look at the last couple of games, KC were getting their average starting position around the 50 to the 45-yard line in their opponent's territory. The opponent's average starting place was between 12 and 8 yards from their own end zone. Uh, the next thing we'll look at is New Orleans traveling down to Houston. Um, now, I've taken New Orleans, Fitz has taken Houston, and Harry has said, whoever wins, we all lose. Is this... <laughs> is yeah. that like the tagline in Alien versus Predator? It is, yes. yes. <laughs> um, who, who is that for then, Harry? Oh, oh Houston, I Houston. guess. Oh, okay. Um, I'll give you, since you started me, I'll give you a bit of the logic on that. And the reason I'm going to pick Houston uh, in what is going to be a really weird game that is either going to be absolutely horrific or it's going to be a ludicrous shootout is that DeAndre Hopkins is going to burn Brandon Browner for 150 yards on PI flags. Yeah. Um, <laughs> genuinely, I think this makes the difference in that game between two teams that have looked pretty up and down, mostly down this season. We're seeing a little more from uh, Houston's pass rush, which is very, very important to their team, given that there's a lot of investment in there and those players are quite good. 
And also, I think right now, the level Hopkins is playing at is insane. And that Saints secondary, even without uh, Rob Ryan's questionable leadership, is still not personnel rich. So I think he's going to go off on this game. And for some reason, Houston with TJ Yates look, I wouldn't say good, but look more comfortable than they have with the other quarterbacks, which is really weird. So I think they're going to have enough to beat a Saints team that is defensively in disarray and offensively is going to struggle against a rejuvenated uh, Houston pass rush. Yeah, like I get, I get what you're saying. I think as well. I think this is going to be a very high scoring game because I think both team. I think New Orleans have a very good offense and no defense, uh, which which then pairs up nicely with a Houston team that have some excellent pieces and should be able to pick them apart. What I'm basing this on essentially is that I think it's going to be a high scoring game. And I think that New Orleans with Drew Brees are more used to playing that kind of football, have played two or three games this year like that already, and are kind of equipped for doing that um, better than the Houston team. I agree it's going to be a struggle for a mediocre at best line to try and hold back J.J. Watt. But yeah, like it's, 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 it's a spot where this could go very badly against New Orleans, but I think it's going to be a high-scoring game the New Orleans edge because they're used to playing that style of football. Houston just aren't really used to scoring. <laughs> so I don't know what they're going to do in a game where they start scoring a lot. <laughs> Did you see JJ Watt finally fail to uh, fail to make a touchdown catch last week. Oh, did he? Yeah, he uh, got got broken up and then um uh, in the Colts game Kobe Fleener got an interception. So there you go. Oh, and Don, Don Terry Poe ran in a touchdown. That was amazing. He's now he's now got the record for the heaviest man to score a touchdown. Yeah, like this is probably the one I'm actually most confident in of the disputed games. Uh, it's just it's just the case that I think like DeAndre Hopkins is going to have a field day with this defense. Yeah, he is. Uh, it's actually Hoyer. I think Hoyer has actually been put back in for this game. But even even so, I don't think it'll make a difference. I think like Hopkins is going to have his way with this with this with, with this team. Like on on defense, I think JJ Watt and that defense is going to get to Drew Brees a lot. Like this will be JJ Watt's. You know, chance to rack up those sacks and try and go for the record yet again this season, and for DeAndre Hopkins to score infinity fantasy points. Next game we're looking at is Pittsburgh at Seattle. So I've taken Pittsburgh. Fitz has taken Seattle, and Harry's taken Pittsburgh as well. To be honest, Fitz, I kind of hope you're right. I'd love if Pittsburgh dropped a game here. Uh, it would be fantastic. My rationale for this is simple: Pittsburgh's defense is coming together a bit better, and the offense from uh, from Seattle is. So, so I'd be very interested to see now. I, I was really excited by the play of, is it Rawls, the new running yeah. back? He looked fucking brilliant, didn't he? Yeah. Um, like, well, like, just to talk, like, Thomas Rawls, like, obviously his nickname in college was Mini Beast Mode, so that kind of tells you everything yeah. you need. But the one thing that, I, like, I noticed about him is that he loves contact. He actually... He draws, it's class. Uh, he puts his head into the player. He actually wants to, like, hurt the player yeah. while he's making a run at them. Like, I think, like, he is, like, as we mentioned before, the X factor in this game. If Thomas Rawls puts up 150, like, over 100 yards, and, like, he's already put over 200 yards in two games. Yeah, so he's, had, he's, had, yeah, he's, had, he's had three games over 100 yards already. Like, exactly. And, and he's so if he, can put up those, if he can put up those kind of numbers, then that's the balanced offense that the Seahawks have thrived off previously. Like, I expect that Sherman will be shadowing Brown in this game and should be able to hold him to at least a draw. And then it will really come down to uh, those kind of secondary pieces, which have shown some flashes, like Martavis Bryant. The one good thing is that 
the Pittsburgh Steelers don't have an explosive tight end. Heath Miller's a good tight end, yeah. but he's not an explosive tight end. So hopefully that should mean that seam routes will be less interesting. Yeah, basically to finish off what I was saying, it's like Pittsburgh have an incredibly good offense, and I can see them having fun with that. Like Seahawks, fair news to them, have a good defense. It's not the level of a defense they had beforehand. Uh, and I think you've got that weak spot in your Legion of Boom now that they'll be able to target. I don't... I. Honestly, like I do have a lot of respect for Sherman. I don't know if he's gonna hold Brown to a draw. Brown is fucking intensely good. Like him and DeAndre Hopkins are a whole other level. Yeah, like I think I think really that's what it's gonna come down to. It's gonna be the offense of the Steelers versus the defense of the Seahawks. Because I think I think you're gonna have a relative push, an okay job, and it's gonna depend on Thomas Rawls for the Seattle production on offense. But I think it's going to be how well Seattle's defense matches up with a juggernaut offense that is Pittsburgh. I would agree with a lot of what you said. I think the critical thing is Sherman has looked human this season, yeah. against, particularly against shifty, quick guys like uh, Brown who can make those breaks. And things. Even if, uh, even if he doesn't, Pittsburgh aren't afraid to move Brown around, put him into the slot and... Well, we have seen Sherman following guys around a bit more this season. I don't know if they would necessarily want to put him in slot coverage, given the size of um, guys like Bryant and Wheaton, who Pittsburgh can then line up on the outside. Mm. I think their um, offense is very, very explosive, and very, very dangerous. I think we have seen a little more from uh, Seattle as the season has worn on, but it's been very incremental offensively. Whereas and I think Pittsburgh's defense has been increasing incrementally as well. In a game where it's going to be, can Seattle's defense shut down Pittsburgh's offense? I just don't think that's going to be the case. I think Pittsburgh are going to be able to find the space and they're going to be able to get their receivers open. Uh, next game we're going to look at is Miami at the New York Jets. Uh, this is a game that no one should watch. <laughs> I've taken the Jets. I've taken the Jets. Fitz has taken the Jets. Harry's taken Miami. This is more about me just not having any faith in Miami than it is having much faith in the Jets. The Jets started off really well. But like that was based on Fitzpatrick not making too many mistakes, uh, Chris Ivory playing fantastically, like Brandon Marshall and uh, Decker looking fantastic on the on the outside. Ivory is now battling several forms of like lower body injuries, which make him much less effective. Fitzpatrick presumably actually has lost his thumb or something. <laughs> like it's terrible. On the other hand, Miami are not a good team. They haven't been able to do much since Wake's gone, so all that pass rush is gone. They've got a relatively weak secondary. I have no faith in Ryan Tannehill. Yeah, just don't watch this game. Yeah, uh, the reason I'm calling it for Miami is very simple. Miami, for all their problems, have a couple of decent receivers, and their run game is sometimes good. Oh, they've got the new running back. They're doing a tandem thing. They are between Ajayi and Miller. Ajayi looks very strong. The Jets' defense has just fallen to pieces. Now they've been absolutely devastated by injuries. So what happened was like they suffered a load of injuries, lost a bunch of safeties and linebackers. Then, uh, obviously, there was the incident with, uh, oh, yeah, with yeah. Muhammad Wilkerson and up, up the front. And then we saw Antonio Cromar, he just go off a cliff a couple of weeks into the season. Mm. And then last week, we saw Darrell Rivas look awful. And mm. I mean, I sort of mentioned about the last game that you know Sherman hasn't perhaps been at his best this season. Rivas, it was stark. Like, it was just stark to see him play that badly. So I wonder if, uh, with all the injuries and all the problems the Jets have on defense, I just don't think they can contain Miami's offense, which is a really weird thing to be saying. Yeah, like I think I think you're right in that Revis has dropped off. I wouldn't like he's not terrible. Like, oh, he's not terrible. He, he looked diminished. 
Yeah, like, I think this is going to be kind of a dumpster fire game, as a, like, a definitely... Calling it for that section <laughs> next week. <laughs> calling it, I'm calling that, I'm more confident about calling that than calling a winner in this game, but um, I think, like, the Jets, like I, like, I still have a lot of belief in the coaching staff there and Todd Bills, and I hold, like, I think they, they just look like a more confident team, like, my aunt, like I expect both of the quarterbacks to be spending a lot of time on their arse uh, <laughs> in this game. I think, based on that, I think, like, the Jets should have enough on offense. Like, Ivory has looked less effective, but they actually have quite a bit of depth at running back, so if they actually start to do some rotating, I wouldn't, I would, uh, they might be able to actually get something going there. And I think uh, a wide receiver, Decker and Marshall, even though Marshall just loves to drop the ball, mm. should have enough to take on uh, Miami defense, which continues to flatter to deceive. Uh, our last game is the New York Giants traveling down to the Washington Pale Faces. Uh, I've taken the Giants. Fitz has taken the Giants. Harry's taken uh, Pale Faces. Uh, the Giants look like a more complete team right now. Basically, the combination of Eli and Beckham looks like like looks like to be getting up to speed where it was previously. Uh, was last season. If that connection works and like Shane Vereen starts doing some stuff in the backfield, which he has managed to do in the last uh, few games, then they should have enough to overwhelm a Washington defense, which has looked continuously terrible. On the other side of the ball, the Washington offense continues to look uh, pretty tepid. Like Kirk Cousins has like one good game every like four games. And I don't expect it to be this one since the, the Giants defense, while it hasn't been amazing, has been like average and that should be sufficient, especially with JPP seeming to be finally getting into the into into some decent health. Yeah, I'm not like I'm not super confident in this pick and I never really am when I pick Washington. But the reason I'm taking this, and I'm not. It's gonna be a bit weird. I'm not gonna point to anything or give any of the you know, super deep analysis. Washington this year beat bad teams. They do. They have this weird habit of beating bad teams in games that you would expect to be close. The Giants fit that role absolutely perfectly. And looking at where they are, the Giants. Yes, their front seven looks front seven looks better. Their secondary is the kind of secondary that Washington have just somehow found themselves shredding this season for no particular reason. And I mean, even if you look at the start of Washington's game against Carolina, they were very much in it for a bit before Carolina just stepped on the gas and blew them away. Yeah, I don't know. I think this is the kind of game that, and this is a little bit, this is a little bit Ramsey of me, but genuinely, this is the kind of game that Washington that should be close. Therefore, Washington are going to win because that's just what they've done this season at home against mediocre to bad teams. See, I think this is where we disagree, Harry, because I think the Giants are a lot better than just an average mediocre team. The way they played against the Patriots was very impressive. I thought I thought the defense looked a lot better. I thought their offense was clicking. We've seen them play a game where they scored 50 points. Like this is a this is a team that has the ability to do all these things. It just needs to click at the right time. I think this is an in-division game. I think the Giants want to try and get themselves separated there. I think Washington are poor. I think they don't have an O-line that's going to be able to handle the pass rush that's going to come from New York. And I don't know who in that defense is going to be covering Beckham and trying to keep pace with him. Giants could absolutely murder them. I don't know if they will, because like you said, they are the kind of ones who slip up a bit. Washington will obviously be up for it because it's an in-division game. And that division can be won by anyone because it's fucking awful. But I think the Giants have better talent up and down the roster and that's going to show through in the very end. Um, so yeah, so that's the games. I suppose I... I was going to say now, uh, any crack at yourself, there's one thing I want to have a look at. The Sadness Bowl, uh, Baltimore-Cleveland, clearly playing for like the first overall pick here. From what we hear, I think, Harry, you're saying, Johnny Football's been benched. 
Yeah, apparently Johnny Football is going to be benched for this game, which is just, it's really sad for Cleveland. Well, it's always really sad for Cleveland. <laughs> this, this is extra sad for Cleveland. Because, you know, when Patton came in, it looked like they turned a bit of a corner. There was an organizational shake-up. They got rid of uh, people who have been pretty destructive. And then there was a sort of season of hope where they did okay, where they played some tough games, won some good games, humiliated the Bengals. It all looked like it was going okay. And then slowly, bit by bit, the wheels have fallen off. Yeah. Uh, you know, Ray Farmer's suspension, uh, the whole Josh Gordon saga dragging on, Manziel's injuries, and then subsequent uh, rehab. Then, and then this season, losing games they shouldn't. No idea what, what they're doing at running back, trying to trade their two best defensive linemen. And now, literally, just flipping a coin about who plays quarterback each yeah. week. What looked like it was a corner that's been turned for Cleveland has been sucked into the burning quagmire that is the sports franchise in that city. And you've just got to look at Cleveland and be like, what does this team actually have to do? Yeah. It, 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 is, it is sad. You, you feel bad for them because they're not an unlikable team. Yeah. They just make, they just keep sabotaging themselves. It's bizarre. Well, yeah, like, apparently, like, this is especially sad because it was only two, three weeks ago that they announced that they would put in Manziel for the rest of the season anyway. Like, it was up to then, like, it was okay. Like, apparently this is coming about because of tape being released of Johnny Manziel partying to celebrate the end of the bye week. Oh so you can take that for what you what you want. Wasn't wasn't um, he also caught on tape with, like, by a, by a traffic camp? The, his, his girlfriend or his wife was alleging, like, domestic abuse. Yep, that all yeah. took him. Oh, oh, I missed, oh, I missed that. I missed oh, that completely. Hold really? on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think it was a traffic stop and she said something. I, I didn't I didn't actually see the video. So so what you're saying is they're benching him because he went out for a pint rather than he potentially beats his wife. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I, thought, yeah, I think the evidence that they had for this is pretty damning as far as I'm aware. Like in the sense that like it's pretty much indisputable. Uh, and I think it's just, yeah, it's just a joke at this point. And unlike the the Ravens, they yeah, they probably don't deserve this. Mm. Uh, the Ravens can you know suck a big one uh, <laughs> as far as I could care, considering the you know rogues gallery that they've managed to pump out over the years who's, from that team. Who's going to be the starter for Baltimore? Show. Oh, oh show. Yeah. show. Who is like a husk of a quarterback <laughs> based on how he was playing last time we saw him. But yeah, so this will be the sadness bowl. Uh, we must try and get uh, get Dave dialed in or something now, just to give us his his take on it. <laughs> it's a pretty solid chance. Like we'll ask Dave to dial in, and he'll just be like, "Nope, I am never watching football again. I have moved to Antarctica, <laughs> and I'm living with the penguins now. Oh, uh, they catch what they're better at catching balls than Dwayne Bow. <laughs> Liverpool are good now, so at least he has something to cling to. That's yeah. true. Good God, yeah, Dwayne Bow, what a terrible fucking signing. Any other crackers yourselves, lads? No, my life is football. <laughs> my life is not good football. No, it's not. Like, I would just give a shout out to the to the other football that Leicester City yep. and Claudio Ranieri, top of the Premier League. Uh, fair play to those guys. Fantastic. Uh, it's good to see someone you know not from the major teams around there. Oh, sorry, that's the other thing we need to discuss as well. It would appear that Keen Dickers. Odd question about Tony Romo being injured and the Lions being bad has a modicum of truth in it because Tony Romo is back and the Lions are winning games. <laughs> Any answers that you have as to how this has happened, please send them in to us. By the way, yeah, that's it. We're on Twitter as well uh, at AFQ Podcast or on Facebook, facebook.com slash AFQ Podcast. Obviously, the episodes go up every Friday and all that kind of stuff. Um, 
But yeah, like drop us questions, comments, uh, anything you want. Also, yeah, shout out to uh, Ken Sorensen, who got in touch with uh, uh, looking for a spot to watch the NFL in uh, in, in Dublin. Uh, yeah, hope hope the wool shed was good. Yeah, no, no, apart from that, not too much. Been getting on to Lingus on Twitter to complain about them not giving us any fucking money back yet from the disaster of getting stuck over there for the extra day after the games. Um, but yeah, apart from that, fairly quiet. Uh, so I suppose, uh, say goodbye, Ronan. Goodbye. Say bye-bye, Harry. Fuck off. Thanks very much, guys. We're uh, all four quarters. Hope you enjoyed the show. And uh, like I said, get in touch. Uh, talk to you next week.